Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined by Matt Eddy. Hey Kyle, glad to be here. Really exciting times, Matt. This is, you know, this is what we live for. The pennant race, got about 10 games left in the season for most teams. A couple playoff spots still undecided. Awards voting is coming up. We've already got uh, some fights taking place on social media about who's going to win all the various awards. It's a fun time of year for everyone, especially if you're a contender, but also if you're a fan of a losing team, now's when you get to see some of the young players come up. You know, September baseball, the expanded rosters, and you know, service time manipulation. There's some things that <laughs> annoy people, but I do think this is kind of a fun time of year in general. Oh, yeah. I love expanded rosters. My might not be a hot take, but it rewards the, the minor league vets and, and the prospects, you know? Absolutely. Well, you before know. this year, if teams would actually call guys up. Funny you mention that. That will be one of the things we <laughs> talk about today on the show. Uh, one of the things I want to jump into first, though, is, is talk about the fun stuff, the playoff races. There's a lot of teams here that we expected to be here. The Red Sox, the Yankees, the Cubs, the Indians. Uh, but there are a couple teams who have stayed competitive throughout the course of the entire season. But I think even when they got up to kind of a hot start, people were like, eh, you know, I don't know if they'll last. Um, I'll, go, I'll go for me. The team that, that has surprised me the most by staying competitive to the very end of the season is the Rays. And, and now's the time to do it. I remember earlier this season, I uh, did a Facebook Live with JJ, and I said the Rays had screwed up the offseason. They were going to win 70 games, and maybe, maybe 70 games, and we'll see if I'm wrong at the end of the year. I'll, I'll own up to it. Well, Tampa Bay, well raised front office. This is me owning up to it. Congrats on a great season. Um, they're 85 and 67. The same record as the Indians, who lead the division <laughs> in the Central. Better record than both the Braves and the Dodgers in the National League. Um, you know, where they are in the wild card race and obviously their division, they're probably not going to make the postseason, especially after blowing a six run lead in uh, the ninth inning to Toronto yesterday. That was kind of a backbreaker. But the fact that they've remained so competitive to this point in the season, I, I think, has really blown me away. Yeah, I, um, I, I agree overall. I'm, I think they do a lot of things smart. So, you know, I don't know if we're ready to chalk up the opener as like the next frontier in, in strategy, winning strategy. But you know, it's, it's gone well. They've, they've managed their personnel very well. And I think that's, for me, the biggest thing about the opener. People go back and forth about, was it good for baseball? Is it bad for baseball? To me... What it was was they had to adapt. This is not something they planned on doing on opening day. This was not something that you know was hatched in a lab in February and said, let's try this. This was a reaction to, hey, our pitching depth has been eviscerated by injury. And now we have guys like Yanni Chirinos, Ryan Yarbrough, and to a degree Matt Andrews before trading him. You know, These are guys with good arms that they don't really fit in one innings. It's tough to ask them, though, to roll over a lineup three times. Well, right. if we can, you know, if we can start them with, you know, in the middle of a lineup, and so they only have to face the best hitters, the top of a lineup twice, get to face the middle of a lineup three times, maybe we can stretch them out. Again, this wasn't their grand plan from the beginning, but I'm a big fan of teams that aren't so stubborn that, you know, they understand their situations and say, we have to do something here to adapt, and the Rays did, and I have zero problem with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's further blurring of the line between the role starter and reliever. You know, you have, in the past, we would think of, you have a six-inning starter and a one-inning reliever, but in, in reality, it's, it's, the Rays are proving that it's, there's some uh, gray area. Well, and I think that's kind of one of the, the interesting things, because there di there's different ways to skin a cat, right? The Rays are one team that has really remained competitive by doing it this way. You know, again, since starting with the opener, they have the lowest ERA in baseball. They've been mm -hmm. one of the hottest teams, and it's not something that you know, died out after kind of an initial initiation period. They've been the best team in baseball since the trade deadline record-wise. 
Um, but then on the flip side, you know, another team that has surprised some people. I know before, you know, I know for me the Rays are the team I at least expected to be competitive. I know earlier in the year you had voiced doubts about the Rockies. Um, you know, and the Rockies were a playoff team last year. Coming into this year, there, there seemed to not be a ton of enthusiasm for them to make the postseason again. But one of the things that's really gotten them to this point is their starting pitching. And they've done it by doing it the completely traditional way. They've had the same, they've had six starting pitchers the entire season. Four of them have, you know, kind of essentially given you a full season's worth of innings. They've done it a very traditional way. Here's our starters, then we're going to move into our relievers, not have to go too much into their depth. And they've also remained competitive late into the season. So, again, there's multiple ways to do it. And the Rockies, to me, you know, this is kind of a new Rockies team. They're pitching based. The offense is not a good offense, but they're finding ways to be successful. Every time they have been successful, they've been a pitching team. The 2009 and 10 Rockies were kind of the same way. What's notable about this, you just brought up the Rockies team pitching. Three first-round picks in the rotation right now. That is amazing to have to develop, to draft, identify, and develop three starting pitchers for a, for a winning team. I, how many other teams can say that right now? Very few, and two of them were homegrown, and Tyler Anderson, John Gray, Kyle Freeland, uh, a Blue Jays first-rounder. No, Rock that's Hoffman. Oh, Hoffman, you're right. I'm yeah, sorry, I'm sorry. These, he these was are, these are three right. Rockies draft picks. You're right. You are correct. Two. That is impressive. Yeah. And Antonio Santos. Two, uh, two in the top ten overall picks. You're right. And, and, you know, the Rockies, it's interesting. They've had a good farm system for many years now, and they seem to develop well. Uh, we've seen position players, and you're right, three first-round picks, homegrown. It, it is incredible. And, and I think... You know, one of the things that stands out to me about this Rockies team in particular, because they're so pitching, you know, they have good pitching, it's allowed them to be successful on the road. I went back and looked at this. Mm-hmm. The Rockies as a franchise have never won more than 41 road games in franchise history. <laughs> right now they're at 41 with three more road games Ooh. to go. And just because they're no longer, okay, we're just going to try and beat everyone 11 to 10 in Coors Field, Mm-hmm. It makes them more competitive. You know, going back even to like the 95 team that made the postseason, even some of their other teams that were, you looked at their records, 83 and 79, but some of those road records, their win numbers were in the 20s. Mm-hmm. And I, I think by moving to this, it's allowed them to essentially, just to be frank, there were seasons where they weren't competitive 65 games a year because they didn't have the pitch to do it. Now, even though their offense has taken a step back, their pitching is so good, they are truly able to be competitive for 162 games a year, which hasn't always been the case in their franchise. Yeah, and their lineup isn't deep, but they do have a couple of major stars in Arenado and Story and probably somebody else I'm forgetting. Charlie Blackman. There you go. They have three all-star caliber hitters. Sometimes, yeah. you know, sometimes it's the sequencing more than just the overall volume. Absolutely. I think it'll be interesting to me how these teams move forward because right now, both the Rays and Rockies are not in the postseason if the season ended today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Rockies were neck and neck with the Dodgers. The Dodgers have gotten hot. But I think these seasons do have to count successful years for these teams. And I guess I want to ask, given that the Rays and Rockies, a lot of people do not expect to be this competitive. And sometimes teams that have this big, sudden, unexpected burst, they fall back the next year. How realistic is it do you think for both these teams to continue this moving forward uh, I like the Rays chances based on the strength of the farm system they have talent at all levels literally uh, they do have a couple formidable foes that the Rockies don't have to contend with the Rockies have one major major uh, revenue generator and spender um, the Rays have two 
but I think the strength of the farm system and the shrewdness of the front office will lead to continued success. I probably should stop doubting the Rays. You're right. The ingredients are there for them to continue doing some good things. Um, I do look at the Rockies and say, I think they found something here. Again, they made the playoffs last year. They're in contention again this year. All those arms you mentioned, you know, John Gray had his worst year. And even with John Gray not pitching well, they're still in this place. I think he bounces back. They have Arenado for another year. They're going to have no problem replacing LeMayhew between Rodgers and Hampson and all the other guys. I, I think they're in a good place. Uh, if David Dahl can finally stay healthy enough to actually start full-time. Mm -hmm. I, I do think the Rockies are in a good place, and I, I would not be shocked if next year we're talking about these two teams again, either on the fringes of the postseason picture or in the postseason picture. Yeah, um, all the past successful Rockies rotations, they've had a, the franchise has had a hard time keeping them healthy and successful based on the unique conditions in remember which they pitched Ubaldo, half the games. Remember when Ubaldo Jimenez was a Cy Young candidate? Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> Jeff Francis had Jeff a couple. Francis. You know, now it'll be interesting to see if Kyle Freeland and co. can continue this. I mean, Freeland's a, a good pitcher. He's gone this year way beyond anything that was previously expected of him. Mm -hmm. be interesting to see if he can maintain it. Um, those are two surprises. Two teams that are at the top of their divisions. We expect it to be at the top of their divisions. I remember talking to you about this in our last MLB podcast at the quarter point of the season. You know, the Dodgers and Indians at that time we're not looking great. The Dodgers were really scuffling. The Indians were in first place, but were not playing good baseball. They were just taking advantage of a terrible division. The Dodgers now are 18-7 and seven in their last 25 games, best in the National League. The Indians are 27-18 and 18 since the trade deadline, better record than the Yankees, and just a game and a half back of the Astros in that time. They kind of scuffled a lot of the year, but it really kind of feels like they've figured it out. The Indians have... have not been great here in September, but bigger picture, second half of the season, it's been a lot better. Do you believe that the Dodgers and Indians teams that we are seeing now are the real Dodgers and Indians teams? Because if they are, records aside, the Dodgers would be the, I mean, again, best record in the NL. They would be the team to beat in the National League. And if the Indians can play like this, they're on pace with the Astros right now. Yeah, timing counts for a lot in life and in baseball. You know, you get hot in September. Uh, sometimes that's all that matters and you know it's the nature of baseball today it, it is more about the sprint in many ways than the marathon of the regular season so teams are judged more by what they do in October and getting hot at the right time like these teams have can be very good for a team fortune. You know, the Dodgers in particular interest me because for all the ups and downs they've had it's been a lot of lack of clutch hitting. It's been a mm -hmm. lot of issues in terms of, you know, way too many strikeouts, not having competitive at-bats and in key situations. But despite all that, you go and look at where they kind of stand. They lead the National League in the RA, and they lead the National League in runs scored. Hmm. So for all the, the hiccups, they're still coming out in a really good place. And you look at the issues the Cubs have. You know, the Braves are a great team. They're a young team. Uh, we've seen some of their, you know, Sean Newcomb, who at great at the beginning of the year, has scuffed a little bit. Some of the young pitching is, you know, up and down at times. The Dodgers were the favorite coming into the year in the National League. A lot of us picked them to be the World Series team. With how they're playing right now, you know, Yasiel Puig's gotten hot. Uh, you know, Manny Machado has been a, has produced not quite the Orioles level, but he's been very good since coming over to L.A., uh, they fixed some of their platoon issues by acquiring Machado and Dozier and David Freese to play a little first base. He's been really good over there, by the way. Mm -hmm. I kind of think that right now, you know, if I'm, if I'm the Cubs or even if I'm the, the Astros, 
I don't want to see the Dodgers if I'm the Cubs, and I don't want to see the Indians if I'm the Astros. What are the weaknesses that could be exploited, in your view, on these two teams, the Dodgers and Indians? Well, we've seen throughout the year the Indians, you know, you mentioned top-heavy lineups. Uh, you know, the Indians have some big names at the bottom of their line, but a lot of them have not produced for a lot of the year. Edwin Encarnacion, Yonder Alonso's had some slumps. Um, there, there's been points this season they've had outfield problems the whole year. Mm -hmm. um, the Indians lineup can be beat. You know, obviously Lindor, Ramirez, and, and Brantley at the top, yeah, you don't want to face those dudes. But the bottom half of it, all these guys, you know, they've added Josh Donaldson. Obviously, he's coming back from injury. He's got to get back into form. There's a lot of names, but they're not what they used to be. And while, yes, they're dangerous and they can hurt you, I don't know if they strike the level of fear, top-to-bottom lineup, that you'll see with the Red Sox lineup, the Yankees lineup, when it's right. Um, the Dodgers, you know, where you strike them is they're very, very prone to swing and missing a launch angle. And if you have the right type of staff to take advantage of that. But at the end of the day, you know, Every team has a weakness. And so sitting here and saying that the Dodgers and Indians' weaknesses are so much larger than every other team in baseball, I, I don't know. I, I, what, what for you are, are the ways that you could see these two teams, you know, that these late season runs end up not meaning anything and they're both out in the first round? What would be the playoff rotation for the Dodgers behind Kershaw? Kershaw, Bueller, and then it's interesting. Hunjin Ryu has been pitching really, really, really well. You have that option, you have Rich Hill. Uh, you know, you probably end up going Kershaw, Bueller, Hill, most likely. But if and who are the most reliable relievers ahead of Jansen? That's been a season-long issue and something they're going to have to address. Potentially, a starter could go into that role. Is that what you mean? Well, Alex. Well, we've seen they've put Alex Wood into the bullpen. That's someone they've put in there. Kenta Maeda has moved into the bullpen, and he has been very effective at times there. Stripling has he? Stripling has they've moved him back and forth a little bit. So there are there are arms there. It's kind of like you know we saw it with the Astros last year, right? Mm -hmm. The Astros bullpen last year was a disaster, but they were able to manipulate it, moving Colin McHugh in, Charlie Morton in, Lance McCullers in, and they made it work. And I'll be interested to see if that's the same tack the Dodgers take this year. Mm -hmm. I can see that. This kind of is a nice segue going back into our season predictions because you know end of the year, and it's always fun to kind of go back and look at you know, what we got right. Um, and I think overall, you, you know, you can still, if you keep it, old issues of baseball America, you can pick them up. As a staff, uh, looks like we're going to have seven of the ten playoff teams correct, four of the six division winners correct. Uh, and one of the fun things we always do is, is the biggest surprises, biggest disappointments. Um, Got to give a couple shout-outs. First, Ben Badler, our intrepid international, uh, international uh, writer. Came with the Blue Jays as the most disappointing offseason and the Astros as the best offseason. And both of those have turned out pretty well. You know, the Blue Jays back-to-back -back ALCSs in 2015-16. It's just been step back after step back with, frankly, poor decisions made in the offseason. Rumors coming out that they refuted, refused to trade Josh Donaldson for a package including Jack Flaherty. Hmm. That doesn't work. That's, that's not a move they're going to feel too good about if that's true. Um, they've really regressed as a, as a team. Uh, at the major league level. They had the oldest lineup in baseball last year. Shouldn't that be too surprising? And, and they did <laughs> nothing to try, you know, to try, okay, let's improve this, let's improve that. And it's been a rough couple of off-seasons for the Blue Jays. You know, the Astros is the best off-season. You know, they didn't, Garrett Cole was a huge addition. They added some good bullpen arms, Hector Rondon, Joe Smith. You know, it wasn't maybe as flashy as, hey, the Yankees went and got Giancarlo Stanton, the Angels, you know, nabbed Shohei Otani. There were other teams that, 
you know, might have gotten a little more hype just based on some of the, the name brand value. But the Astros had a great offseason. And it's interesting because there's an argument to be made that the 2018 Astros, in part because of those, some of the moves they made and then continued to make into, uh, into the season, are better than the 2017 Astros. I mean, you go back last year and looking at the defending championship team, they were you know best offense in baseball, led in runs while having the fewest strikeouts. That was undeniably better. But you know, they were, their bullpen was 17th in ERA. The rotation, while it got stronger at the end of the year with the addition of Justin Verlander, it was sixth. It was kind of middle of the pack among playoff teams. This year, the Astros lead the majors in starters ERA, lead the majors in bullpen ERA. That offense is, it's not first, but it's fourth in runs. I mean, there's but an it, argument to be made. This team is better than last year's team. But it's notable <clears throat> to me that, that George Springer and Jose Altuve have been um, significantly worse than last year. And when you're talking about a short series, that could be a big factor if these guys are not as effective. And, you know, in the ERA numbers, Verlander starting 30 times is baked into their Absolutely. excellence this year. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you, you know, and Verlander. Garrett Cole, a Garrett number Cole. one caliber starter. And also Charlie Morton really, you know, taking, taking off over the, you know, to, to another level this year as well. Uh, and you're right. And I think, you know, you mentioned Springer and Altuve. Both of them, injuries have played a part. Both mm -hmm. of them missed time. And that's where, you know, you talk about timings, everything. It's not just how talented are you. It's how healthy is your talent going into September because a guy can be, not on the DL, but if you know their wrist is bothering them or their hammy's tightening up, and, and you know this late in the season, a lot of guys have nicks. That's that's not you know news, but if it's something that's you know seriously nagging, it can be problematic. But Bregman's better, and to give them credit, Correa is not as good as he was last year. Also injuries. Who 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 did they settle on in left field? Do they have an everyday guy there? So Marwin Gonzalez kind of picked it up a little bit after uh, really struggling, but you know, that is you know one of the things we talked about last year. Offensively, they were top to bottom, you know one to nine. Everyone was hitting. This year it hasn't quite been the same. Left field's been a problem. Brian McCann got hurt. You know the catching situation. Oh, Max mm -hmm. Stassi did did hit well for for a chunk of time. Mm -hmm. um, but you're right, health is going to be key with them. I do think just seeing where they are, you know, the bullpen is stronger, the rotation is the best in baseball and has maintained that dominance from day one to, you know, we're approaching day one, 162 here, or game 162, I should say. It'll, it'll be interesting. I, I, I do think, though, overall, you look back and those predictions worked out well. You know, we're, we did big spread on rebuilds. We all picked which rebuild we thought would work out the best. Matt, you went ahead and picked the Braves. And they've landed a year early. They're atop the National League East. They're going to go into the division series, uh, likely against the Dodgers. That's what it looks like the matchup is going to be. Hmm. What for you made you feel? Because a lot of teams rebuilding. We've talked about this that you could argue as many as you know a third of the teams in the major leagues were in some stage of a rebuild entering this year. What was it for you about the Braves that gave you such confidence that that you picked that you were most optimistic about them of all the rebuilds? For me, it was two factors. Uh, pitching depth, number one. They made pitching depth the focus of the rebuild with their trades, with their drafts. Uh, they, ha they seem to have a magic touch with developing pitcher, amateur pitchers, particularly high school pitchers. Much more so than a no, lot of other No other team can touch them in terms of pro success by high school pitchers in recent years. So I like that because it's not only the depth that that affords your rotation. These guys are valuable trade chips now and expect to see one of these guys or more traded this offseason. And number two, strength up the middle. 
Albies, Swanson, Ronald Acuna, up the middle. And it's a very nice place to start, and you can kind of, from there, build out your roster. And you already have a franchise player in Freeman already established. There's no question. I think for me, you know, one of the things we talked about during our, our rebuild segments we talked about during the offseason and kind of the various studies I did and, and some of what we published was because pitchers can take a little bit longer, sometimes it's good to get the first wave up and let them adjust. And they did that with, you know, Sean Newcomb, Mike Fultonewitz. They got them up, let them go through their struggles. And then by the time they're ready to bring up the first real wave of new impact position players, Acuna Albies, They'd already had a couple starters sell in the big leagues. You know, they'd kept Julio Tehran the whole way through. He gave them a little bit of an anchor, even though he's regressed. Um, so you kind of had a group of three pitchers in their 20s who already had some major league experience under their belt, had kind of gone through some of the growing pains. We saw, And we saw Fulton Awitz took a huge step forward this year. Newcomb did for a while, even though he's tailed off. To me, it gave them a pretty good baseline. Of, okay, because one of the things I learned is if you try and bring all your pitchers up and all your hitters up at the same time, it doesn't often work because pitchers take longer to adjust to the major league level. So you're kind of best off you can get that first wave of arms up, give them a year or two, and then bring the bats up. That's exactly what the Braves did. And then, okay, here's the second wave of arms now we can use to supplement it. I think the Braves, even though it's come through multiple organ, uh, multiple uh, heads, heads of the organization during this time, hmm. uh, I thought that they, they had a nice thought-out plan that even when they were struggling last year, uh, you could see that, okay, we're starting to get some developmental steps brought up Albies toward the end of last year as well. Um, I, I think it's more than just the talent they assembled. I think they did it the right way. The pitching thing is a good point. I think it's more about the, the durability, the stamina required, because these guys are used to pitching five months if they stay healthy. Okay, so add another one. Add two more if you're going to make a deep playoff run. I, that's, I think that's incomprehensibly hard for us to understand how difficult that is. And it's something where you can build that up in the majors a little bit better. You know, we see now a lot of our minor league, you know, all-stars, guys we pick. You know, a lot of guys are, the, the, the top guys are pitching 120 innings, 130 in the minors. Mm -hmm. Hey, you get to the that, that's a That's a workhorse season that, now. <laughs> now, I mean, you talk about the major leagues, you know, you talk about guys who are at 160, 60 innings, and you're like, uh, he missed too much time. He doesn't qualify. For, he shouldn't qualify for, for a Cy Young Award. I mean, you hear that debate, and a lot of the best guys... You know, you do go 180. You do go, hopefully, 200. But, again, you add postseason in there. Building that stamina takes time. I think, for me, the one I can kind of hang my hat on was the biggest surprise team. I picked the A's. And similar but different reasons. And for me, I saw, when I looked at the A's, the reason I went with them, I saw a team that had eight different guys who had pitched in the big leagues, had had some success, and were young last year. Knowing that you had A.J. Puck coming up behind him, I saw a lot of pitching depth. And my thought was, they actually have a lot of good young arms. If five of them get hurt, they have another five to bring up. Now, I didn't anticipate hmm. all 11 of them getting hurt, and that has been incredible to me, what they've been able to do going back and finding Trevor Cahill, Brett Anderson. Edwin Jackson. Edwin Jackson, <laughs> back from the dead. I mean, there's really an incredible uh, survival story here of the A's pitchers. But So for me, it was like, a situation where I felt like there's enough pitching depth, but both pitching talent and pitching depth here to sustain injuries. Because we've talked about this ad nauseum with apparently the Rockies and Astros accepted this year. You're not going to be successful if you have five or six good starting pitchers. The average team now uses 11 to 12 over the course of a season. 
And if you and a lot of those guys, you know, that's five starts for your twelfth guy, five starts for your eleventh guy, seven starts for your tenth guy. Well, if you're throwing 20, 25 starts on guys who are really or guys who shouldn't be in the major leagues, that makes a huge difference to your team. Did, did we just outline the, the A's playoff rotation, by the way? Like, uh, what, what do they do there? How do they get creative to, to overcome this apparent weakness? You know, you never know. I mean, baseball being as random as it is, these guys could all pitch fantastic. You know, and I think that's obviously an issue that's been discussed a lot in, in the Oakland media. Um, you know, losing Sean Mania, not just for this season, but possibly 2019 as well, was a real gut punch. Um, I mean, you know, right now it... You know, Mike Fires has been a good acquisition. You have Cahill, you have Anderson, you have Jackson. We'll see. I, I think they'll sort it out. But the main thing to me in picking out, you know, what was it about this team that I, I thought was going to be the driving force? Because to me, the starting pitching depth was going to be a, a, a key component of it. But what was going to be the driving force was you looked at this lineup and you said, there's not an easy out in there. These, these are guys who can hurt you and hurt you big. One through nine, and really one through 10, 11, because they had some good guys that knew how to platoon well and utilize well. And that's one of the things, you know, we see a lot of some teams have these three or four studs at the top of the lineup. Well, okay, that's great. If you're giving away four or five, four outs every time through your bottom of your order, as we see some teams continue to do, which blows my mind, you're not going to be competitive. And to me, seeing what the A's could do to an opposing pitching staff, how they could, again, the number one hitter down to the number eight hitter, any of them could hit a home run, a, a, a lot of home runs, and a lot of them game-changing type blasts. That to me was going to be, you know, what was going to carry them. And they've done it. Two-thirds of their lineup has 20-plus homers. Uh, they're third in the American League in, in home runs, and they're doing that playing in a much more difficult park to hit home runs in than the team that teams that are ahead of them. Yeah, they might be the top road-scoring team in the league. They're they're up have there. Have to verify that. But even with the power. You know, they're on the fringes of the top 10 in baseball in batting average and on base percentage. It's not totally an all-or-nothing offense. I think they're perceived to be that. But in today's day and age where a lot of teams have a lot, we've talked about this ad nauseum, a lot of strikeouts, you know, hits are down. The A's are actually still in the upper half of baseball encroaching on the top 10. So for me, the depth of the offense and the depth of pitching staff, which they've needed, they've had 13 different pitchers have started at least five games for them this year. And they've made it work. Um, so, you know, A's biggest surprise for me, Brave's most optimistic rebuild for you. Those are the two that look good. And I think as a staff, again, uh, there's been a lot of a lot of, uh, lot of things. You know, anytime you make predictions, you're going to be right on some things, wrong on some things. But looks like seven of the ten playoff teams and four of the six division winners, I'll how take many, that. How many of us picked the Nationals to play in the World Series? And I'm going to get to that. There were two, <laughs> uh, Ben Badler and Teddy Cahill. Come on down. That one uh, didn't work. I, I do want to get to that, but one of the other things we did before this season I want to talk about was we did our rookie rankings. Uh, we also have the BA Top 100, but we also did a rundown of what the top rookies of the 2018 season would be. We had Shohei Otani number one, and Ronald Acuna number mm -hmm. two. And Juan Soto, oh, no, we didn't have him on there. Did not have Juan Soto <laughs> on there, considering he was at low A. Um, <laughs> no, for you, I, I know my answer. Are Shohei Otani and Ronald Acuna the two rookies of the year in the various leagues? Yes. Okay. Yes. And honestly, <laughs> I, I there was a time where Soto was in it with Acuna. Acuna has pushed past him. Yes. And sorry, Yankees fans, <laughs> Otani versus Andahar and Torres is not a debate. 
it's not close. So as much as you get angry about it, that's the hard truth. So we'll tweet at Kyle Glazer. <laughs> Kyle A. Glazer. Kyle A. Glazer. Hey, Matt, Matt Eddy agrees with me. Um, but beyond that, one of the things that was interesting that we, we did, and we, this was a discussion we had. You know, we meet as a staff, talk about the top 20 rookies, and every year we have this discussion of you know, guys who are so, so, so talented, but we're not sure if they're going to be on a major league team. Mm -hmm. So we put Eloy Jimenez on the list closer to the back. He'd had some double-A time by that point. We did not put Vladimir Guerrero Jr. on the list because we weren't sure if he'd get up to the majors this year. In both cases, Eloy and Vlad showed they were ready to at least hit in the major leagues this year. It has been discussed a lot. J.J. Cooper here at Baseball America had a column on it, and I think to some degree 90% of baseball columnists have had this discussion. Service time manipulation, Vlad and Eloy not being called up. They're the faces of it now. In previous years, it's been Chris Bryant, George Springer even. I wanted to ask you, because you, you've dove into this, you have some history with this. How do you view this, the decisions the teams make, and whether or not, you know, good for baseball, bad for baseball, just, just the system in general, what are your overall thoughts on it, and, and the result of Eloy and Vlad in particular not being in the major leagues this year? The decisions the teams make are justifiable with the rules of the the rules of the game being what they are, but I think it's bad for baseball. I think it deprives these players of valuable major league experience, and more significantly, it deprives fans of a chance to see these guys compete at the highest level. I think it's interesting because it's not always cut and dried. You know, the Braves right. on the one hand, you know, held Ron Acuna down this year at the start of the year, and people were blasting about that. But last year they brought Ozzy Albies up when they didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. I do think there is a degree of it's, you know, some teams are better as, you know, the Blue Jays who are rebuilding and, and are holding Vlad down, they've brought up a ton of other rookies that could have also just said, eh, we're not going to be competitive, let's just leave them all down and get the extra year. You know, they, you know, whether it's, like, you know, they brought Brady Telez, they brought Danny Jansen, they brought, earlier in the year, they brought up guys like Lourdes Gurriel, Ryan Barucki. So it's not always as cut and dry, but in general, I do think it is problematic that the system rewards teams for not putting the best 25 members of their organization on the major league field. Right. I do think that is problematic. Mm -hmm. There was an interesting solution. Uh, I thought, you know, J.P. Hornstra, a former co-worker of mine, uh, is now at the uh, L.A. Daily News and Southern California News Group, put together an article where he talked to a couple major leaguers about that. And one of the things he talked to players about Initially, he wanted to talk about service time and fixing that, but he realized that that would be more treating the symptom as the core problem. And as he talked to major leaguers and the other players involved, they said the real issue was the incentivization to lose. Mm -hmm. And a player proposed something I thought was interesting. And I actually, and I'm kind of a traditionalist who's like, no, just leave it, it's fine. This appealed to me. The player proposed changing the draft so that teams 1 through 20, you leave the, the 10 playoff teams, pick the same order 21 to 30. But instead of the worst record picking first and the 20th worst record picking 20th, you take the best record of the non-playoff teams and give them the first pick and do it reverse order. That way teams are incentivized, okay, even if we're not making the playoffs, we want to still be competitive. And if you win 88 games, you get that number one pick. I thought it was interesting, and I understand there's problems there where the worst teams need the most help and the top of the draft always has the most impactful players. But I do wonder if we've gotten to a point now where the incentive to lose and how much that has taken away from best players on the field, 
the dynamic would be interesting to change. Uh, why not just go to a lottery system then? I think because I see how it works in the NBA and it's a disaster that's every bit as bad if not worse. For the top 10 picks? Yes, but you still see a tremendous amount of tanking. And I think, I think if you do that, you just see tanking in a different form. And I think at the end of the day, the goal is let's try and get some extra levels of competitiveness here, even if you know you're not making the postseason. I'm not saying I would, there wouldn't be unintended consequences. There always are. But I thought it was an interesting idea. I, are you interested in that idea at all? Or no. no. Okay, that's fine. I would, have to, I would have to think it through. I, I, it seems structured, oddly, <laughs> to go to 20 picks, where the worst record would pick 20th overall. That's a completely fair it's point. Especially in today's age of bonus pools, where it's not really the, the, pick, the raw pick, but the money attached to it. Right. Like once you get beyond the top five or so. Yeah. It's really more about the money attached to each pick. It's very, very true. I, I do want to, you know, circling back though to the service time manipulation, mm-hmm. Vlad and Eloy were the faces of it. I will say, in general, just the world we live in right now, there's a lot of cynicism to authority, and that's exacerbated on social media. <laughs> so, you know, when Rick Hahn and, uh, you know, and, and then with the White Sox and, and Blue Jays management say, Vlad and Eloy need to work on their defense. As the, what we do here at Baseball America, talking to scouts all over the game, scouting directors, you know, the people who really do evaluate these things for a living, those are not incorrect statements. Both of them do have work to do, um, but the argument is you could bring them up to DH. Teams don't really want to bring guys up to DH, but hmm. there is some truth to that. At the same time, Vlad and Eloy, I think we can all agree, would be better off getting a chance to face Major League Pitch. Are they in the AFL, those two guys? Uh, Vlad is, I do not believe Eloy is. Okay. But, and I'll say, so, so assuming that Vlad and Eloy, yes, they really should be in the major leagues, we all acknowledge that. But what I thought was interesting was other fans of other teams started complaining about their top prospects who weren't getting called up and calling it service time manipulation. When it actually wasn't, and I think it was something that, again, was really more just a reflection of the general cynicism society, baseball, politics, whatever, have towards authority right now. Mm-hmm. And, and how, again, social media really amplifies that. And the main guy I want to get to here is Peter Alonso. I saw Mets fans lumping him in and his situation with Eloy and Vlad and the Mets being cheap, and that was server time manipulation. Matt, you do the Mets system for Baseball America. I just did the PCL Top 20. The kindest way to say this is you cannot put Peter Alonso on a Major League Baseball field right now with a glove. Pickoff throws, just pickoffs, are a quote-unquote gamble in the words of one opposing manager. Basic grounders and pop-ups, even though he cut his errors down this year and did get better, it's a 50-50 proposition. Peter Alonso has tremendous power. There's still some things to work on, you know, swing path. You know, Again, there's always going to be things to work on. Hitting is a constant, constant adjustments. But the Mets... It, it, you know, it would not have done the Mets any good or Peter Alonso any good to put him on a Major League Baseball field right now and say, go play first base. And the Mets were absolutely correct in saying, we're not going to bring him up right now. And people say, well, 
what do you mean? Wouldn't he be better, you know, getting majors in construction? No, he's better taking a month off, going to St. Lucie and working with the instructors in camp than putting him and, under the lights in City Field. And he is in the Arizona Fall League, so he will continue to get work beyond the season. You know, in the team context, the Mets were also evaluating three other players at first base. They don't have a DH. You know, Wilmer Flores and Dominic Smith, young-ish players, and then Jay Bruce also is playing first base a lot. And then you factor in the 40-man considerations. You know, the roster's already crowded. Alonso won't have to go on until after the 2020 season, I believe. So there, there are, they're not holding him down that long. <laughs> no, no, he'll be up next year, no doubt. Right. But there are other considerations besides the fact that he hit 36 home runs and 119 RBIs or whatever. And again, excellent prospect, you know, top 100 guy. He's on our Eastern League top 20. He's on our PCL top 20. This is not to say Peter Alonso can't play first base, can never play first base. He'll figure it out. But he needs reps. He needs time. And we'll see him in the fall league. We'll see him, you know, do all the offseason work he puts in. Lumping him in with Eloy and Vlad right now, who also have to work on their defense, but they, their situation's a little bit different. And so I, I thought that was one thing I wanted to kind of talk about and address. I, I'll be interested to see when the next collective bargaining agreement comes up if Major League Baseball players prioritize this, because we saw in the past Major League Baseball players prioritized personal comforts over, oh yeah, we'll take a luxury tax, which serves as almost a hard cap, and yeah, we'll cap the international bonus pools. They, they really didn't focus on any issues that affects players coming in, and especially with their compensation. And even though they should make this a focus of the next CBA, I don't know if they will. I think they'll be more focused on the six-year free agents. And that's that. this relates to that, but again, the players will be more, we've seen they're a lot more focused on where they are right now as opposed to where they came from. And at the end of the day, it's Major League Baseball's union. It's not Minor League Baseball's union. Yeah, and you the focus on major league free agents is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, me too. I so, agree with that. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, but aside, you know, service time manipulation, the fact we have to talk about that in the pennant race is a little bit of a drag because at the end of the day, a lot of good baseball going on. There's still some postseason slots not decided. I, here's the ultimate question because every year, you know, you think something going into a year, things change. Before the year, Matt, you picked the Yankees to defeat the Cubs in seven games in the World Series. Do you stick with that pick? Sure. There's no reason not to stick with it. Both teams are alive. Both teams could get hot. That's what it takes. You know, have they been the best teams in the league? No, clearly not. But do they? You know, the Cubs pose an interesting challenge because of the injuries to their rotation. Uh, Cole Hamels is a nice kind of band-aid over using, losing you, Darvish. Huge addition. <laughs> So that'll help. Um, you know, Lester's okay. He's regressed a little bit. Still a wily veteran. Hendricks, same deal. And you know, this is a team that's uh, been to three straight NLCSs. They, you know, there's there's not going to be any issues of first-time jitters or guys not being exactly sure, you know, how to perform this year. And you know, people I talk to sometimes laugh about those those things, those intangibles that knowing what to do in the postseason. You'd be amazed how many players you talk to for teams that are on the first time postseason, they acknowledge, they won't acknowledge it during it, but after the fact they'll say, yeah, yeah, I was nervous. I remember, you know, John Gray in that one game postseason, uh, the wild card start last year, he even came out and said, yeah, I mean, there were nerves. There were. This is a whole new deal, and I do think there is something to be said for, hey, we, we've been here, we got this. A bigger factor for the Cubs might be uh, Chris Bryant's shoulder, if, if, how healthy he really is. I mean, not that Dave, David Bode can't step in and be an MVP caliber player, like Chris Bryant, but 
This is this is the president of the David <laughs> Bodie fan club, by the way. Just letting all you listeners know out there, Matt. Matt is, uh, yeah. For for Matt's uh, next big birthday bash, I'm gonna see about flying David Bodie in as as his, as his present. <laughs> I'll settle for a Bodie jersey. <laughs> um, yeah, no. I, again, health for all these teams. You know, Aaron Judge's wrist with the Yankees. We right. mentioned the Astros guys who have battled injuries all year. The Cubs have definitely had their share. Uh, you know, my pick coming into the year, I had the Dodgers beating the Yankees in six games. Again, I am not going to jump off the horse right this minute. Um, there's no reason to. Do I think the Dodgers, you know, if I look at the teams right now, I, I feel decently strong about the Dodgers getting to the World Series. You know, the Yankees, the, the road's a little tough. You know, I've talked about this for two years now. If you look at how their offense performs outside of their bandbox of a home park known as Yankee Stadium, they're an average-ish offense. They're around, you know, 13th to 19th in a lot of categories. Um, and they're going to be, at best, the four seed, right? They're, so they're going to be on the road more often than not. And we saw this last year, you know, especially in that ALCS, when they were home against Houston, they were putting up runs. As soon as they went to Minute Maid Park, there was one-run one run games, get shut out. It was, it was bad. So I think it'll be interesting to see if they can actually especially if Judge's wrist isn't healthy, um, put up the offensive numbers needed away from Yankee Stadium. But I picked him before the year. I feel like i got to stick with him. Well, should be fun. All right, Matt, one final question. Because we are Baseball America after all, and uh, this is, you know, we focus on young players. Shohei Otani, Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto, Walker Bueller, Jack Flaherty, all the way down to, you know, Harrison Bader, Frandel Reyes, who's had a fantastic year uh, as a rookie. Um, you know, Joey Lucchese, uh, really all the way down through the American League. Ramon Laureano's come to the A's. Is this the most talented group of young players you've seen ascend in a single rookie class? Last year's was pretty good with Judge, Benintendi, Bellinger. But I feel like this year there's something a little extra special, and they're all, for the most part, younger. The, only, the class that comes to mind is 2010. Um, Giancarlo Stanton, Starling Castro, Buster Posey, Madison Bumgarner. I think those are all the, the highlights of the class of 2010. That one stands out to me as one of the best that I can recall. Uh, I think it might be too soon to tell with this group. I do expect Acuna to be a superstar uh, to match any of those guys I, I mentioned, uh, maybe, except maybe Posey. I don't know. It's definitely been an exciting year. Um, again, a lot of, lot of fun. And, you know, and we talked about tanking, but the truth is there was a point late in the season when you can look at the standings, and I think 16 teams were within five games of a playoff spot at one point in August. <laughs> there was a lot of competitiveness. There's a lot of great young talent. And there's some really, really, really good teams this year, the Red Sox, as they uh, chase uh, you know, their 104 wins and keep on going. So it'll be a fun postseason, I'm sure. Matt, always fun looking back at our preseason predictions with you. I'm Kyle Glazer for Matt Eddy. Thanks for listening, everybody. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.